Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So today I have actually got something slightly different, never done before on the Chat Shit Show. Um, I had an exciting opportunity along with another one of my URN members, and if you don't know what that is, that is University Radio Nottingham. So I will now pass along so you can introduce yourself. Hello everyone, new audience members. My name is Florence and I'm from the Watch Along Show at URN. And today uh, what we what Grace and I have to bring to you, to your lovely ears, is an interview with Arabella Burfitt Dons, who is the director of the brand new film Grey Matter, which is in cinemas in Nottingham, the Savoy, this Sunday. So it was a lovely opportunity for us to both interview Arabella. Uh, Neither of us has done actually anything like this before, so it was really exciting. Um, And we just thought we'd give you sort of a brief introduction of what we're going to be talking about. Um, And I hope you all enjoy it. Um, Everything that you need will be in the description of the Instagram post and also the Spotify description. So you can check out... Florence, um, you can check out Arabella and W4 Films and also the Savoy. So any information you require will be in the description and we hope you enjoy. The first question that we'd like to ask is if you could please give us a, a brief outline on on what Grey Matter is about. Yeah, of course. Um, the film is is really about self-discovery um it's about a teenager chloe um and she's struggling to sort of manage her emotions so she kind of retracts from her day-to-day life activities to sort of figure things out and then her grandmother peg um played by stephanie beecham gets diagnosed uh, with alzheimer's and so she's then forced to become a sort of stay-at-home carer for her nan and uh, her mother kind of encourages her to go to a support group for carers um, and people that have loved ones with Alzheimer's. Um, and it sort of changes her perspective on things. And so she comes up with a bucket list of things that Peg wants to do before she forgets things. Um, and she tries to make a memorable uh, summer for uh, Peg whilst her memories sort of deteriorate and her condition gets worse. So obviously you've described it as quite an emotional film. Um, Was there any sort of influence behind that or was it kind of just a spare of the moment thought? Was it just a storyline that you have had in your head or was there sort of deeper meaning as to why it's made as it is? Yeah, so I, um, the script is written by a, nurse who is also a published author now but it's it was her first screenplay and I'd read some of her work and I really really liked her tone of voice and I was looking for my first project to make as a director and I asked her sort of off the cuff if she just had anything because I've been looking for a while and she sent me the script so from her perspective um she actually spent she wrote the script during lockdown and she was actually working uh, she's such an amazing person I adore her to bits um she was actually working as a nurse for the military in Canada she's Canadian um on the front line during um 
uh, COVID uh, frontline being she was a sort of frontline worker uh, during the pandemic and so she was working on dementia wards and she has also had some experience as well um, within her family and so she drew from those experiences and wrote this script which was originally um, Canadian it was set in America or North America and I really connected with it straight away and um, I think because it's told from a teenager's perspective, I think that's really quite unique um, for a story on dementia. Mm. And I think it, I think Chloe's character really connected with myself personally. Um, and I think I really brought that sort of emotion out probably more on Chloe's uh, journey um, than perhaps the, the grandmother. I do have an experience. Um, I actually lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's, but it was when I was very, very young. So I didn't have that caring experience. Um, but I certainly relate to Chloe's um, Chloe's story and how she suffers with um, teenage depression. It's really about her coming to terms with that. And yeah, uh, yeah and I think, you know, particularly for speaking with you guys, you know, from Nottingham, back from my Nottingham days, um, it, it's such a you know, in the story, she's 17, but, it, you know, to me, it's kind of late teens, early 20s. Um, it could be a character of any age around that time. And I think that relates to university life. And Definitely. it just, it, it's such a unique period of time in your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through, if you're going through nothing, if you're having a great time. Um, it's a very unique it's a very unique snippet of time in someone's life when you're kind of growing up and you're finding yourself and I think I really love that about the story and uh, Chloe's journey and I think I really brought me back to Nottingham days. Definitely has a lot of relatability. Yes and actually you have kindly brought us on to our next question with mention of Nottingham <laughs> um, which would be what what drove you to get into the film industry after studying engineering here at UON? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, it's definitely a big pivot from... Quite a turnaround. A hundred percent is a big turnaround. You know, it's a difficult question, really. I think when I think back to my days at university, I was kind of a little bit frantic, I suppose you could say, um, in that I was full of energy is doing like millions of different things I think so I was just so excited about uni life and just about everything and I was studying engineering um I played lacrosse um I worked for Carpe Noctum so I ran um crisis and, and club nights in the city I kind of was just like excited about everything, <laughs> excited about everything. a jack of all and trades think, <laughs> yeah but I think at the heart of that it was really part of me was was probably a little bit panicked because I do feel like you know this may not be the case for everyone but certainly for me I felt a lot of pressure like excitement to sort of figure out who I was but sometimes there's pressure that comes with that you know what is it I actually what are you going to be when you grow up that kind of question um, but you kind of are grown up so you're suddenly like oh I'm meant to know now like what is that um and it certainly wasn't engineering for me um but I didn't honestly know, you know, I didn't go to, I wasn't part of the arts. I didn't do any sort of film theory modules. Um, I know there's a great cinema in the Howard Library, which I discovered one day and I was lost. Um, yeah, it's great in there. 
Um, but I didn't do any of that. And honestly, I was just kind of trying to figure it out. But it's something you can't really force, I don't think. Mm. Um, some people inherently, they just know it from, you know, they're two years old and they've got this like home videos of them singing in high heels and they want to become a singer for their whole life. I think if you're fortunate enough to have that clear drive, that's great. It kind of gives you clarity on who you are. But I really didn't have that. And I just didn't know what it was. I loved so many things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think my one of my friends, my best friend who I lived with at university, um, she sometimes brings up in, in stories, she'll say, you know, one thing I always remember about living together is um, she used to just find me. I had these notebooks and I would just scribble in them all day or like when I was hungover or whatever it was in between lectures. And they were all sort of business ideas, ideas of what I wanted to do, things that I kind of thought I might love, wanted to try. And honestly, it's kind of sweet, I suppose, looking back, but I really was just trying to figure out what that was. Mm. Um, And my sister is an actress and she was one of those people that always knew from a from a very young age that she wanted to you know be a star and she loved being on stage and that sort of thing and I that's kind of how I discovered film um I left my job in engineering which I worked in for a bit and I wanted to find something creative and I didn't know what that was and she was doing a film in New York and she asked if I wanted to just help her out with it um and so I thought great I'll just go to New York that'll be fun um and I did and then I just thought oh my gosh I want to be a director that's such an amazing thing and I just that was it I was a turning point and I never looked back I was just going to say it's very inspiring because I mean obviously both of us being here at uni um at the minute I don't know about you but especially me being now in second year I feel like a lot more I feel like I need to do so much more um, which is exactly what you said. I feel like so many people come to uni and think, okay, well, this is my degree. So everything I do from now on is related to that degree. And I can't steer out of it because, you know, I'm I'm paying for this now. This is what I'm going to graduate in. Whereas, you know, it's it's not the case. Like so many people, so many students do their degree and then just end up either not using it or diving into a completely different field. And it doesn't mean that your degree isn't, you know, wasn't worthwhile because of course it was. You you've got it behind you now. But I think people don't realize when they come to uni that you will probably end up somewhere completely different. And like I said, now with me personally, I think I'm kind of having that now. It's almost like a bit of a midlife crisis. It's just kind of like, well, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I've got all these little attributes and little things that I do, and how can I make them into a big thing? So I think it's really relatable to listen to you say that um because obviously I'm going through now what you previously went through and you can see that it it can get you somewhere yeah 100 percent. it's that it's that pressure that I was sort of talking about earlier that I yeah. think that you, it's sort of you suddenly feel like you're in a point where you're too far down the line because it's university to sort of shift lanes um, but also it's too early to necessarily be sure that that's the lane that you want, you want to go down. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, to tell everyone just to, to give up what you're doing. Um, but I do think, yeah, there's a lot of people that I know that do things that are completely different to their degree 
and it's kind of it's all just part of a your life's roadmap I think it's like every little bit you do degree outside extracurricular activities or or later on it's like a little piece of a puzzle and you don't know what the picture is actually going to be like you're just like doing little pieces here and there um but it's all sort of meant to be but I think yeah having that open mind to doing something different and not being scared to say okay I'm doing an engineering degree but why don't I just see what the theatre society (laughs) is about I've never acted but maybe it'll be fun because you know if I look back now at university, I wish I'd tried things like, you know, what you guys are doing and stuff like that. There's so many good resources to to do that sort of trying thing, which is a bit harder when you, you get out into the, the real world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that in itself, that, that's the beauty of studying at a university or, or any form of yeah. higher education, really, due to the number of options and possibilities which suddenly, and it can feel like a tsunami wave sometimes, that suddenly open up to you. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. So I, I, I study English, and I came to this university thinking, right, I want to focus on sociolinguistics and how our individual demographic characteristics affect our daily language use. That's what I came here thinking I wanted to do, and now I'm I'm now doing the sociolinguistics module in my second year, and uh, I'm thinking it's not as interesting as I thought it would be. <laughs> it's really not up to scratch. Where and I've discovered instead a deep, deep passion for Viking culture and the the history of England during the the Viking Age period and Norse mythology, which I've done several modules on because I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. And now I do some work here with URN. We've got our psychology podcast thing going. Yeah. So there's lots of roads which open up whilst you're at university. And I suppose it is comforting to, re- to, to hear from you, Arabella, and reassuring that you also had lots of options open up to you and you you chose one engineering and you didn't like it. So you just did something else. And now you've directed your first film and, and we now have the privilege of talking to you about that. So it's it's really quite reassuring. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think I think as well, not only being at the university itself opens up so many opportunities, but simply just moving away from home. Now, yes. for me, I live in a small town down south. I always say to my friends that I think we completed that town at the age of 15. We'd been everywhere, done everything. There's nothing left. All the achievements are Yeah, exactly. We've, we've finished everything. Whereas moving to a whole city, not only just moving, but moving to a whole new city where there's things going on every single night, there's people around at all times of day. And um, I think for me as well, the main thing is, just being somewhere new because I think I thrive with change and I mean it sounded like you did too Arabella thriving with change and being frantic and you know just having so many things going on which is very similar to to me in a way so I think I found my opportunities here by just being in the city I mean I have myself like a part-time job that I now love um, my degree and I just find myself wanting to get outside and just just see things and just experience things that I wouldn't be able to at home. Yeah, no, I just was going to say, I think that's, I think that's the best 
way to approach university because I think it really is only a short period of time and so you don't have that much time so you know doing as much as you can within the time that you have you know part-time jobs outside of university inside enjoying social life as well I think is so important um forming those friendships and um yeah and trying new things I think that's you know sounds similar but I think that is the best thing to do is Mm -hmm. not being scared and also I think even at university when you've maybe into year three or, or or year two, you also feel like you kind of maybe have a lane already because you kind of get into a rhythm of, of what your interests are and the societies you're with. And um, But just try something new. Wake up one day and, you know, try something else. That That's what university is for. Mm-hmm. I think that's also something that looking back, I realised, you know, you have all those opportunities, but you do tend to get what you kind of get into what you're doing and then you're less likely to sort of turn around and try something else um which I think we all should do 100 percent um we kind of steered off of the film slightly yes yeah (laughs) so we're going to go back in and so you mentioned that the film is actually partnered with Brace um a a dementia research charity um now obviously you've told us the storyline of the film and that it mentions it includes, sorry, um, the lady with Alzheimer's. Um, so, what's what's the film's relationship with Brace? Um, what does it mean to you and and the film itself? And how does that kind of add to that element of the film? Yeah. Um. Thank you. I think firstly, Brace uh, is an amazing charity. Uh, they're based in Bristol, um, and they fund. They're a small charity, but they do really important work and. Um, literally all the money goes into funding uh, pilot projects, which, uh, you know, they've done amazing discoveries already, which, are you know, rolling out new things across the NHS, which has never been done before. They're really doing groundbreaking work, which is why, um, you know, the my company, W4 Films and the film are excited to partner with them, um, as well as uh, Stephanie Beecham, who plays the grandmother. She has a close connection to Alzheimer's herself as she lost her her father um, had Alzheimer's. So she's sort of very passionate about that. Um, and I think I when I first started, you know, making the film in the process of, of pre-production, I was keen to partner with a charity because I think anytime you're tackling something that's quite um, difficult um, and I think, you know, people are going to watch it and you know, they've probably been affected by it. I mean, one in two people are affected by dementia now, either by experiencing it or or caring for someone um, that, that has it, which is a phenomenal statistic as 50% uh-huh. of the UK. So I think there's a responsibility that comes with making a film um, as a director that you definitely feel <laughs> um, when you're tackling something that's so close to people um, and close to home. And I think... It's interesting when it gets to this point when the film's coming out and I'm doing interviews and sometimes I get asked questions. I got asked a question in a, an interview um, about, uh, you know, basically choosing to 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 die and, and care homes and whether they should all be on public health. Really difficult questions. Um, and you sort of, it's funny because you're tackling something like that and people ask you these questions. It's almost like you become a spokesperson for that cause. Um, and really, I, I I just say to people that, of course, I can have thoughts and feelings about things, but I'm not pretending to be an expert. I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm, 
I'm not the person for that. I'm merely a filmmaker that I wanted to evoke emotion from the audience, connect with people um, that, you know, it seems to be doing, which is amazing. Make, make people walk away from the film feeling joy and treasuring those memories that they have with loved ones and, and maybe being inspired to, to create more because they, you know, in the time they have left, we never know how long we have. That's sort of my goal as a filmmaker. Um, and I like to spark conversations around the cause, um, but that's kind of where my job ends. And then that's where their kind of job comes in. And I always wanted to bring in a charity where I could signpost people and say, okay, this is the bit I've done. And now please, you know, you can speak to to, to Brace or um, other professionals that will give you the support that you need. Um, because that was always the sort of missing part for me. And of course, you know, raising awareness is, is so important. That's one of the reasons why I made the film. So um, specifically raising awareness for the charity as well is um, is something that I'm, I'm very happy to do. And yeah, we're enjoying working together. That, that sounds truly beautiful, Arabella. It does, it and does. When, when, you, when you are creating something and there is a drive behind it, which you have a personal relationship to, and such as you said yourself, evoking emotion, that is a beautiful thing to achieve if you can in whatever you create. And I think that's that that's the beauty of film in itself in how it can i think the 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 key difference here is is representing and representing like you said yourself you're not a professional on it but you are representing your take on it and raising awareness of that in a creative format which can yeah. be widely digested so, i mean it's going to be in the savoy cinema very soon which i'm sure especially yourself we're all very excited about um and in, in terms of that evoking emotion I, I did want to ask about the sound design in the film as well and um, that's something i always like to keep an ear out for um so could, could you tell us a bit about how you tackled sound in gray matter Yes, um, thanks for that. Not a lot of people tend to ask about the sound. Um, I worked with um, an amazing composer called Chen Wisotsky, and we did a lot of work on the score and also the sound uh, together on the film. And he actually came down to the set when we were filming. So we filmed in a little seaside town called Southwold in Suffolk, um, which I chose because it's really colourful and, and vibrant, and I wanted that atmosphere and environment um, to pair with the the tone of the film, which is ultimately, you know, it tackles some difficult subjects, but it's ultimately a joyous, heartwarming, uplifting film with very a lot of bittersweet and some humorous moments um, to make it feel it's entertainment at the end of the day. A film is entertainment, and I wanted to bring that out in the story. Um, and so uh, Chen actually came down to um, the location where we filmed the main family house which is a pink house uh, which took a long time to find a pink house um and yes he, so he he would go around to all the locations to um record sound um record sound there just for himself you know separate to the to sound recordist um to be inspired by the world and get that sort of feel right um and then music for me is a really big 
part of the, the process. Um, I love that part of it. Uh, it took a very long time to get the music right for the film, um, you know, working through all the themes and, and all the score. Um, there's also some tracks in the film too. And yeah, just hours and hours and hours <laughs> of, of working on it until, until I said, okay, I think I'm happy now. <laughs> It is certainly, I think, one of the hardest parts of making Definitely. a film. Because I, I always like to think, um, I mean, I was very happy to hear when you said, I'm glad you asked that. Because yeah, me too. Sound does, I mean, we both, we're both radio and podcasters. Sound is incredible and hugely underrated, I feel, especially in film and TV. And it is. it can be such a lengthy process. Mm. But when you get it right... It works. Oh, it, ju it just works. It just works. I was just going to say the exact same thing. So I'm technically not a film student. Um, so half of my degree, I do media and communications, and I also do Spanish. And one of my modules is Hispanic cinema. So I watch a Hispanic film every single week and analyse it. Um, and we were actually talking last week about sound, and we were watching this very sort of like melancholy um, film. And... And that's when I kind of realized that when you're when you're watching a film, a lot of audiences don't tend to take in sound. So obviously we we realize it's there. Yeah. But yeah. but audiences don't take it in. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, what if there was a different track behind this scene? It would make me feel completely different and it would be portrayed completely differently. So I think people need to start realizing how much work, like you said, hours and hours goes into sound and how effective it actually is to do with emotion in the film because it it changes the whole dynamic. You have no idea how happy I am to hear you say all of that. Oh my <laughs> goodness. And on, on that note, on the importance of sound design, what I like to think of, and perhaps my own little project I might try and do one day, Think of a film, but just for the film itself, just the visual, mm. no sound whatsoever, almost uh, akin to that of Charlie Chaplin and his original silent films. Think of those and think of how it makes you feel, mm. just the visual, no sound whatsoever. Then you could perhaps uh, watch would be the wrong word here, but hear the film again so you listen, you have the audio, you just listen to the audio with no visual. See in isolation how each of those components make you feel, and then you combine the two and see what the overall effect is there. And it's, I mean, I, I work at a cinema myself, just as a regular concession staff member, but we're all obsessed with film, and we all we all have a passion for sound, and we all always say... If you want to learn more about sound and appreciate it more, try your very best to sit in the very centre of the cinema room itself, where you're at the screen, because you'll have all the speakers around you. And so you will, it will be almost a 360 degree exposure to the sound. Um, and a lot of people would say otherwise, saying that that's an awful place to sit in a cinema. But if you're wanting to really experience the audio in a film the very center will be the best yeah um so thank you very much for telling us about that that was fascinating it's interesting yeah it's very interesting would you say sound was important to you within the film to convey emotion a hundred percent i mean for example the the very last scene of the film um 
is for me the the sort of the heart it, it's sort of the most important scene um of the whole film and there's no sound except score it's all just there's no dialogue and i i probably worked with the composer i the number of different versions i can't tell you and I think he was like bashing his head against the wall. He was like, are you sure it's not, it's not right yet. We need to keep going. Yeah. Um, because for me, I envisaged the scene, um, which in fact I actually came up with because we we ran out of time and the location. So we couldn't shoot the scene that we uh, that I'd planned originally, which was pretty heartbreaking at the time. Um, so I came up with something on the spot and we literally had one shot, one take. Um, I did it slow motion and I just pictured how it would be in the edit. I knew it would work, um, but it's entirely down to music, entirely down to sound. And really, you're you're literally you have the audience's hearts in your hands is how I, I feel about it. And the music is like pulling at the heartstrings here and there. Um, and suddenly you feel joy and then suddenly you feel sad and you want to laugh, you want to cry. That is all. I mean, of course, it's performance too. I, you know, you give equal credit. But when it gets down to the edit, for me, it's it's all down to that. You know, yeah. um, and really working on it, and then saying, I think it needs some strings, or I think it needs some this, because it's all connect. Every little detail like that connects with different feelings and and emotions from the audiences. And yeah. it's very intricate. People don't understand how intricate it is, but it really is. Um, so you're very right to to care about that. It's true. It's lovely to hear how passionate you are about it. Yes. I feel like a lot of filmmakers these days are just in it for what oh. comes out of it, in it for the money. I thought you were going to say in it for the money as well. I mean, I thought, that's, yes. that's what I meant, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's lovely to hear how passionate you are about it, and not only about the film itself, but about the audience and who's worked on it with you. Um You've mentioned in in the meeting so far um, a couple of people that you've worked with, um, and we just wanted to know more about how you attracted this all star cast and what that kind of meant to you, and how you pieced everyone together to create what you've created. Yeah, well, I my route into directing was through producing, so I, I started a production company, and I thought if I can produce films then eventually I'll, I'll be able to move into directing full-time which is now what I do um so because of that I'd produce seven films or so um so I've you know collected people over the years that I've worked with that you know have a sort of relationship with me um so that helps sort of on on the kind of crew crew side um and trust as well because you know even if it may be my first feature as a director but you know, they kind of know that I sort of know what I'm doing in 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 others other ways at least. So um that kind of helps too. So that helped to pull some of the team together. In terms of casting, I did all the casting myself. Um Kirsten Waring, uh she's uh BAFTA nominated for uh Fish Tank was a film um years ago. She's done lot lots of stuff. She's really talented. I'd worked with her as a producer in a previous film. She plays the uh social worker in the film so that was um through that relationship but other than that I hadn't worked with anyone else um it was really just fi figuring out who I wanted for the roles um Stephanie Beecham is such a legend and I was so thrilled when she said yes and agreed to play Peg um we had a great chat on the phone and she just 
shared some things with me about how much she cared about the story. And she she came on board, Eloise Smith. Um, I'm a big fan of her work. She's super talented. And yeah, she, you know, you, you sort of tend to have a Zoom with actors before they kind of agree. It's almost like a chemistry Zoom that interviewing you more than you interviewing them, I think. Um, so it's always a bit nerve wracking, but um, but yes, and we've got Elizabeth Barrington playing the mother, Harry Curtin, um, best known for Peaky Blinders, um, playing the love interest. And yeah, just one by one, I just, you know, I think people really cared about the story, which I think really helps. You know, yeah. people understood why it was important, even as a small film. And I think people still do, you know, and the feedback that I've had from audiences in screenings so far is just so touching and it you that's literally why you go through this whole thing making this abstract thing like film is so strange really you know what is it it's just like words on a page and then it's something and it's it's all very odd um when you break it down but ultimately that reaction that's why you do it and people could feel what I could feel and see in the story and I think um probably talking to me I probably got my passion as well and thought all right then <laughs> you know we'll, we'll, we'll do it um so yeah it's just a it's a puzzle again you just got to get one piece after another and yeah. slowly it comes together oh it's lovely it's lovely to hear that so many people within the crew really care about the film as well um if totally such a lovely a lovely team to have managed to to build that yeah I think because um, someone once said to me um, about, you know, why do you think you are a filmmaker and is there any influence you've had growing up? Um, and one of the things I actually paralleled with is um, I, I did the, the Air Force cadets when I was younger, which sounds crazy, but it's um, that kind of military mentality. Sometimes you need it because honestly, for people that don't work in film, you don't understand how difficult some of the days are they really are they put you through it um physically you could be filming outside I mean this film is set in summer but we shot it in winter so you can imagine people wearing like summery clothes and freezing um and doing take after take and suddenly it's pouring with rain and you know you've got it's just really tough um it's physically and, and mentally tough um and so people have to you've got to really want to do something, I think, to kind of get through it. Um, and this project being a small one, um, in the end, it was about 80% of people working on the film had a connection to one of the themes explored. It was mind blowing. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, but I had, you know, people crying with me uh, after reading the script before they took the role to say, this has to be made and I'm in, you know which creates, I think, something really special in the filmmaking process because, you know, you've got that tough day, suddenly a storm breaks out, you know, you're on the beach, the wind's blowing, everyone wants to just cry and just, you know, get in the warm and stop, but you just think, why am I doing this? And then everyone pulls together and you want to do it for each other as well. It's very yeah. much a sort of bonding experience to filmmaking. You create like a family. Um, so I think if you've got that common ground of, and really caring about something, then it it pulls everyone even closer. Mm-hmm. Well, that again, when when there's that personal connection to what you're, I suppose the key difference here is what you're wanting to do rather than needing to do. When there's a want to do it, you really there is a, a real drive behind it. 
Um, but unfortunately, Arabella, we have one minute and 50 seconds. <laughs> it uh, shuts itself down. So I, unfortunately, I think this is the time for goodbyes or, or last nuggets of wisdom before <laughs> the audio gets cut off and we can't do anything about that. I'm sure we could sit here for hours and ask oh, you question after question because the film is so interesting and hearing you talk about behind the scenes is even more fascinating. We, but, I've got questions here that we just don't have to yeah, we, ask. Got, <laughs> that's all right. Truly has been a privilege. This has been a, a bit of a dream of mine, Arabella, to actually interview a oh. film director because I've, I, I want to work in the film industry myself. Anything to do with sound design, really. So... This has been a, a true privilege for me. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. Well, the, the film shows on Sunday um, at the Savoy and I'm going to be doing a Q&A afterwards. So if anyone wants to ask more questions about the behind the scenes, then I'll be I'll be there to uh, to tell you all and pull you into the film industry. <laughs> thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. I hope all goes well with the film and I hope um, your success carries on. And me and Florence are excited to see the film. I'm sure we both will at some point. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Nice bye -bye. to meet you. See you later. Bye-bye.